I'm Rebecca. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode 47 of Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast, where we'll be taking a close look at a film chosen by our special guest host. Each season, it's a different theme, and as you all know, it's magic for this season. We are joined by Jonathan Melville, who has decided that on this episode, we'll be taking a look at Highlander. So Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for asking me along. It's great to be here. <laughs> and could you let our listeners know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, I am a freelance journalist and uh, an author, and um, I live in Edinburgh, and I wrote a book on, strangely enough, Highlander, <laughs> uh, which no came way. out last year. Yeah, no surprise. <laughs> uh, which came out last year, um, ahead of this year's 35th anniversary, so... That's kind of the reason I, I aimed it for this year. Well, you know, to come out in time for this. So, mm-hmm. um, actually, as we're recording it to give away some of the, the secrets, uh, we're a week away from the 35th anniversary release in the UK. Oh, wow. So, we're very close. So, that's. Yeah. Um, How magical. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Lovely. Um, so, obviously, this film means a lot to you. Why did you pick it? Why did I pick it? Well, um, I first discovered Highlander way back in about 1994, I think it was. Um, Whenever I say it, I think, was that the right year? I think it was, uh, (laughs) when I was a student uh, here in Edinburgh. And I hadn't seen the film. The film came out in 1986. And I'd never seen the film. And I went to see a a double bill at the Cameo here in Edinburgh. Uh, And it was a double bill of The Crow, which was at that point had just been released. Uh, the Crow and Highlander, so, and they both have this kind of immortal theme to them, uh, mm-hmm. and so yeah, the reason I chose it for today is just because I'm a, well, partly because I'm, I'm a big fan, partly because I've written this book, so I've been immersed in it for a few years, <laughs> um, and yeah, those are the main reasons to be honest. Uh, it's just a, it's just a fun film to talk about and maybe introduce some new people to if they've not seen it. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those films where. Um, I remember my mum and dad watching it, but I, I think I was too young to sort of gauge what was happening. I think every time I caught glimpses of it, like, oh, it was a bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So when I watched it with, um, again, like, all the way start to finish, I was watching it with my mum and she was quoting so much of it and going, what, are you paying attention? This bit's important. Yeah. And I'm like, right, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it's... Um, it's one of those that I think you definitely need to see and I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of chatting about it and learning more and things that I've missed. Um, yeah. What did you think, Gary? That's the first time you've seen it as well, isn't it? Yeah, so it's yeah. interesting. My history of Highlander goes back to when I was 14 years old because I used to do a paper round right. and spend my money in HMV buying either like VHS or DVDs, depending <laughs> on what it was back then. And I remember going in and buying Highlander and I bought it on DVD, and it sat on my shelf from when I was 14 all the way up to last week, and I'm 32 <laughs> now. Oh, Gary! <laughs> so, and it was finally, I've, I've been meaning to watch it, and I've just not got around to it, and this was the perfect opportunity. So, yeah, this was this was my first, first time viewing of it, really? and I really enjoyed it. If I was to try and, like, kind of pitch Highlander as an idea, I would say it's like 
Terminator with swords, only rather than travelling from the future, they're travelling, well, not travelling from the past, but they're from the past. Mm-hmm. And kind of that immortal thing. So I thought, yeah, there was really interesting concepts in it, lots of interesting themes travelling through it, and it's just like a fun a fun film, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. did you reckon, I mean, we'll maybe talk about this later, but did you kind of recognise bits from it, even though you'd never seen it before? You know, Did you get like references or anything? or or? Um, not really. I knew, like, I knew it was like a mix between uh, different timelines. I knew that going uh-huh. in. Uh, I was saying earlier to Rebecca as well. I thought Sean Connery was going to play a bigger part in it. Um, because in my DVD cover, he's the face on the front <laughs> of it, and Christopher <laughs> Lambert's really small at the uh, bottom on a right. horse. And it was just, <laughs> that was obviously a huge selling point at this time for it. So that was that was interesting to think. Sean Connery was going to, I knew he was going to play this kind of mentor in some way. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, I didn't quite know where it was going to go with it. Great. Yeah. I know. Well, what would you um, rate it out of 10 then, Gary? I would go for it, for its time and stuff like that. I'd go, I'd go an 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10 with it. Jonathan? I'm, a, I'm about the same, actually. I wrote down 8 out of 10 earlier and I thought maybe I should be saying 9, but. Uh, so let's say 8.5 because I love the I love the film I can see some of its flaws Um, and a 10 out of 10 film is a very rare thing so let's say 8.5 or or, yeah if I'm allowed that yeah room for for what you can change it don't worry okay yeah yeah maybe it'll Um, change over the course I'll go up to (laughs) 9.5 yeah Yeah. 10 10 even Um, I gave it a 7 um but yeah i'm looking forward to kind of chatting about it stuff um Mm -hmm. because yeah lots going on and lots to dissect in it uh lovely well for our listeners at home here is a little synopsis make sure it makes sense when i None of it makes so, listen. None of it makes sense. This film. So whatever you read, you can. That's why we've got. This is why we've got, you have. We have you here. Yeah. Is, so you could probably jumble yeah. bits up, and it would still make some sort of sense. So. Yeah. I, I think what we should do is Rebecca should give the synopsis that we've probably copy and pasted from online somewhere, and then Jonathan should give his synopsis on it. <laughs> yeah. You could. Ju- yeah, he'll be making notes wrong, <laughs> wrong choice of wording, wrong. Yeah. Um. Well, hopefully it's not too bad. You never know. It's the internet, isn't it? Yeah. Um, cool. So, when the mystical Russell Nash kills a man in a sword fight in a New York City parking lot, he leaves a sliver of an ancient weapon lodged in a car in the process. That's right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> After brilliant forensic specialist Brenda Wyatt recovers evidence of the mysterious weapon, she and her partner, Lieutenant Frank Morin. Is it Morin? Morin? Or Moran, maybe? Moran. Okay, I'll say that sentence again. <laughs> after brilliant forensics after brilliant forensics specialist Brenda Wyatt recovers evidence of the mysterious weapon, she and her partner, Lieutenant Frank Moran, embark on an investigation of Nash that will land them in the middle of a dangerous, centuries old feud between powerful immortals. Brilliant, yeah, perfect. I wrote that myself. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I know we're gonna, I think I'm just going to keep saying this, and, and I, maybe we, we all will. It's bon- It's just bonkers. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's so strange. Such a crazy film. Because you were born different, men will fear you, try to drive you away. 
I am Connor McCloud. Lovely. Well, we're going to move on to our positive points now. So as you'll know, we're going to take turns and share our three positive points. Uh, Gary, would you like to go first? Yeah, I'd just like to, My first positive point is, and as we just said, the film's bonkers, but just the whole mythos of like the immortals and Highlander and the, this idea as well that there can be only one. And I'm hoping Jonathan can help me dissect that a wee bit more as until... <laughs> why there can only be one but also can i can i just just interrupt yeah. actually saying that was my first one as well the idea or the concept <laughs> whatever you want to say because i just yeah. it's so we've, we've gone for the same thing here but sorry no, to that's interrupt. Good. So, no no feel free to jump <laughs> in then because what i love about it is like it's a really cool concept you know these people are mortals and there can only be one but then it doesn't really give away why there can only be one in my eyes, so maybe it does and I've missed it first time viewing. There's there's room that I've missed some stuff there. <laughs> but also then it questions um the ideas and the principles of these characters, as in why does uh, Ramirez train someone that then he can be left standing to fight if there can only be one, but it also then questions, you know, friendships. So the character that um, Nash meets in New York, who's also an immortal, who gets killed in the alleyway. Like, you know, they pretend that they're going into their coat pocket, it might be a sword, but it's not, and they're remaining friends, knowing at one point it could just be those two left standing. So it, it, it questions a lot of why would Ramirez go to that trouble to, um, to basically train Nash, if he is going to then maybe turn against them, and they question that together. He actually asks them if it is us to stand in, would you cut my head off? So I think there's a lot of ideas in there. <laughs> it's um, such a funny, like, just thing, like the way you said that. It was like saying it to your best friend, like, see, things get really bad, would you cut my head off? <laughs> but one, one thing that I, I can only take from it is maybe, you know, the, the more powerful the immortal maybe the more power you get by killing them. You know, you almost level up yeah. <laughs> if they're a, a more powerful adversary. So therefore, if you train someone and then kill them, then you get their power. So there's a lot of interesting ideas in there. If that's your if that's your point, John, if you yeah. feel free to mm -hmm. jump in. Yeah, I mean, I think you're pretty much on, on the ball there. I mean, it doesn't, you, you haven't really missed much, I don't think. It's, it, it is quite simple, simplistic in a way, in that they are just saying, yes, there can, can be only one, we're not really going to tell you why there can be only one, uh, but, but that's all there can be. Um, <laughs> but you're kind of right. I mean, I guess the point, yes, th th there are 
the goodies and the baddies, if you like. And um, of course, they 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 just don't want the Kurgan to be the mm-hmm. last immortal standing because he will, I guess, destroy the earth. And uh, I don't know. It's never really quite clear what he will do, but I suppose he will just be this all-powerful entity mm-hmm. who, uh, yeah, I suppose in theory couldn't be killed, but he probably can because someone will just chop off his head. Yeah. Uh, someone else could. So, but, but anyway, yeah. So just you don't really want to go into too much detail or or, or think about it too much because I think yeah. it just hurts your head. But I think it's interesting. You could look at Kurgan then as well. Obviously, he's he's Russian in it, isn't he? Yeah. And then the whole time it's set, like the eighties, and you've got like you know the stuff happening with Soviets in America. Uh, Russians are always playing the baddies in the eighties. So, I guess you could almost look at it. Like Kurgan would have the same politics as the Soviet at that time, and. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that but then again it's not an American hero which is interesting you know <laughs> that's true yeah and, mm. I, and I think you mentioned there about the friendship thing as well and the Castagir and uh, McLeod meet up mm-hmm. and talk about um, uh, they kind of talk I can't remember if it's now in the film because I've read the, the script quite in different versions of the script as well and sometimes I get a bit confused it's like remember that bit when and it was never actually in the film it was in the script <laughs> but they, they do talk about I guess joining up to, to defeat the Kurgan uh, and I think, in theory, they could they could have remained friends and um, you know stayed alive for centuries more as pals yeah. and just sort of hung hung out together through the through the the, the centuries. Well, that's um, that's the interesting thing is like because if they can remain friends, like what is the driving force that is saying that there can only be one? I mean, what true. what happens? My, my qu- the question I like is, and it's this, this isn't me saying this in a negative. The thing I love is I want to know what would happen if they fought against, you know, mm. the law of what they're abiding by. Yeah. I think there's a lot, like, with, with the, the whole idea of Highlander, like, it'd be a great TV show where you could, you know, question each season, you could question a different theme of things like that as well. Mm. Did you know there was a TV show? Yes, it was, yeah. uh, it was just after, like, the s- sequel, wasn't it? Well, they did, uh, yeah, so the, I think it was about 1994, Four-ish, actually. I don't know the exact year it started, but it was, um, but yeah, but it wasn't wasn't that far after, um, and they did explore this all this stuff in a bit more detail, right. and they had many more immortals. And uh, mm. but uh, again, we could go off on a whole tangent with that one because in that series they had thing, uh, people called Watchers who actually knew what the immortals were doing and kind of kept an eye on them and monitored them. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, so that's a whole other thing. And then you've got all the sequels, of course, but we're not going to go into that. Well, maybe yeah. we will a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, I think you're, you're right. It's a fascinating thing. And I think when they do, there's just so much to kind of, uh, to talk about. Yeah. With, with what, what are the, the, the relationships yeah. between these immortals and what does it mean to be immortal? And, and I think that's something, the, the love story that kind of goes through, I think is really fascinating for me. And people say to mm-hmm. me, what, what is it, uh, you know, what, what makes it, kind of unique or special i mean it is a it's kind of an action film i guess an 80s action film but at the same time not many of them have this romantic thread running through them and and especially that that just that tragic scene with with heather and in the in the highland cottage yeah it's just so sad and it's like oh and then he's heartbroken and yeah yeah there's a lot of stuff going on in this film there's there's, Mm. there's a lot of layers Mm. For what for what is as I keep saying a, a crazy bonkers film that does have a, a, a sort of you know almost some serious stuff in there about about love and immortality and what it means to 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 be alive forever. But yeah. anyway, mm. yes, 
Yeah. Yeah. That actually flows quite nicely into my first point as well. One of the things I really liked about the film was was how they explored the theme of love. Mm. And I think you think that when you watch all of these films and there's someone immortal and you always kind of look at it as a perspective of like the other, the person that's not immortal and how they want to be immortal so they can be together forever. But it's not painted in that way. It's painted as a very lonely journey for Nash. And so much so that he doesn't really want to open up in the risk of hurting someone or hurting themselves and I think that is something that many of us can like relate to in a way as well I mean we're not all immortal (laughs) but um um but that idea of like letting someone in and things like that there's a lot of like really interesting themes um that was relatable I suppose when when you're watching it and and again like although it is a crazy action sort of I know what you mean, Gary with the Terminator and all that kind of stuff. Um, Mortal Kombat themes and all that kind of thing gets flung about. Um, yeah, a very, like, yeah. Uh, Christopher Lambert in it, especially in the, well, the 80s and modern setting of it, he had a very Kyle Reese look about him as well with the long trench coat. Yeah. And, like, especially that scene where he goes back to the car park and um, so there's a woman and he follows her to the bar. Um, that reminded me of the scene in Terminator where... Kyle Reese follows uh, Linda Hamilton to Technor, I think it's called, yeah. as well. She thinks he's a baddie, and we know he's a goodie, and it's kind of the same sort of traits. It's obviously both yeah. of them are set in the 80s as well, and both of them are set in New York, you know, very similar looks and feels on it. Mm. Um, but I agree with what you said about um, like the love scenes in it and stuff like that, because I guess I'll just jump in anyway, because it's the same sort of thing. Again, I've got the same point as you, Rebecca. It's kind of the, that idea of family as well mm-hmm. like his goals and motivation is obviously to to stop Krugan and be the only one um but he's actually his need is more than that his need is for like family and I guess children as well so yeah, you've got like a legacy yeah and you've got that scene uh, obviously the scenes in the Highlands with his love and um he watches her grow old and it cuts to it's World War Two, isn't it when he finds the child and I'm right yeah. in saying that is who's running the antique store yeah 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 as that's my kid, so he's always yeah. Rachel. That's it. So he's raised her as his own almost, as well, and she's outgrew him. Well, yeah. to the age that he looks, and that must be tragic as well, is to watch your yeah. almost childlike figure in your life to grow older than you, and then by the end he obviously accepts that again to, um, grow old with um, with the Brenda. Brenda. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think there's lots of interesting themes of that in there as well. And obviously, you've got Sean Connery almost being this father figure to him as well when he's when he's banished. Mm. A bit like a Yoda that the voice just kind of lingers in the background now and yeah. again, like <laughs> <laughs> "Remember Nash, remember." <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's but great. No, there's there's the there's a line in there about the uh, you know one year of love is um, is better than a lifetime alone. I think it's something like that. Maybe I've messed that messed that one up. But that's the song as well, the the, the Queen mm-hmm. song, one uh, one year of love. So yeah, yeah, oh, it's great stuff. Beautiful. And then of course, there is. I mean, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about the music later. Actually, yeah, I'll talk about yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Um, is it? I think it might be you, Jonathan. Actually, for your point. 
Well, I suppose I've sort of cheated because I have as I said point one is is exactly the same. Um, mm-hmm. So should I just go into point two then? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. So point two for me is the 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 direction of the film by Russell Mulcahy, um, the uh, Australian director who who was known at that time really mainly for music videos, and he directed the first. I'm going to come up with some boring trivia here, but he directed the first uh, video that was on MTV. Uh, nice. which is the Buggles cool. uh, video killed the radio star so he was so he was I mean he was he was MTV at the time really in the 1980s and so the fact that he came to this film and brought that aesthetic to it is, is incredible I think and yeah. uh, and that's something that stood out for me certainly the first time I saw it I'm, I'm so glad I saw it on the big screen um, I think it does work of course on the small screen as well but just seeing those transitions that I remember being blown away by the you know the the start where where it goes through the the sword after the sword fight, and they're mm-hmm. in the car park, and then the the camera just moves up, and then it pops out into Scotland. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's cool. And I'm sure that's impressive to anyone who sees that. But I think if you are in Scotland, I think it sort of adds something else to it as well. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I've said a lot, and I think I say at the start of the book, you know, in Scotland we there are not enough films made here. And I think any time a film is made here, we kind of latch on to them a little bit and say, uh, well, if it's a good one anyway, we kind of latch on and say, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of ours. <laughs> so Braveheart, yeah. okay, not even much of it was filmed here. But it's set here, and I kind of uh, I can see the flaws in that one as well. But at the same time, I lo- you know, I've watched that many times. So, um, yeah. no, I think uh, Russell's direction was incredible. And, and I think at the time as well, he was... There was kind of a clash going on because he was very young at the time. He, he was in his 20s and they were making this film in the UK. I always thought it was an American film, but it turns out it was a British film, all fully funded in the UK. And he was kind of clashing a little bit with the, the old school um, kind of cinematographer that they had and the old school uh, crew that maybe came for the British film industry. And he mm. was bringing in this new blood uh, and, and sort of new, um, just new ideas really. and 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 just playing with the, the form and so yeah I'll I'll kind of stop there in a way but yeah I just think what he does with his camera it keeps moving as well and, and there's a scene in the hospital um, when the survivalist chap who's been uh, stabbed by the, the Kurgan is lying in bed and the camera's above him mm-hmm. and just things like that which you think well why would you even need to do he doesn't need to do that in a, in a normal yeah. Let's say a normal film, other films, I think directors would maybe do a close-up or, you know, a wide shot or whatever, but he actually goes above them and hovers over the top of them. and um, So, yeah, he's yeah, just constantly cool. moving and doing new things, and I just think it's, it just adds another layer to it. Yeah, and mm. as the, the shot as well, um, at the starts and the opening at the wrestling mm. match, yeah. and the camera almost is on, like, it's almost it's not a crane, it's almost like a wire, yeah. and... It like moves past the wrestling up into the audience to go into a close up of Christopher Lambert just sitting there looking very m- moody. Intense. <laughs> yeah. And very friendly. That was that that was like used at the same time like for like, a lot of sports to start using that to get like, you know, to see um see the sport from a higher a higher level and it was used like in such a cool way for the, the opening of this film. Yeah. Um. Am, am I right in saying as well that was originally meant to be a hockey match at this start? But yes. It and I found it funny that but like the NHL were like no it's too violent a film or something like that. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they <I> think, <laughs> I think they didn't want to be associated because the idea was that it would cut back when they raised up their hockey sticks. It would cut to mm-hmm. the swords in the past. Yeah. Ah. And it was a bit more. So maybe they just didn't like to be associated with swords. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I found that I found that funny though because there is one shot though where it goes to a close up of an audience member and he stands up and he's wearing a hockey mask. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And I was wondering. Yeah. So I, I kind of googled. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, and yeah, talking about uh, a lot of it being filmed in British, uh, British in Britain as well. Um, I read another bit of trivia that when they go to do the the car park scene at the start, that the ceilings were too low in the UK, and they had to maybe go elsewhere or build or something like that because obviously we do have quite low car parts. We we like to cram everything in, don't we, in the mm. UK? <laughs> so I don't know if that's right in saying that, but well, like, I suppose it, that was filmed elsewhere. It wasn't a car park they actually filmed it. They filmed it in um, Earl's Court Market, which I think is not there now, but it right. was it was a market. So a lot of the uh, the background that you see is is black just in the distance, mm-hmm. but that, that was those were just sheets hanging up, right? Because right. it was oh. it, it was just a kind of a marketplace. So um, it's hidden very nicely. It's amazing, well. yeah. They, and of course, they just brought in all the cars and um, and blew mm-hmm. them all up. But, but no, it was just it was just. I mean, there's just so much fakery in this film. It's it's mm. just it's it's doing what what film should do really, and before CGI. Yeah, am I right in saying as well the and I heard this and I didn't know if I believed it or not, but that the swords were like hooked up to like some sort of like battery. Yeah. Car so is it when they yeah. Yes. And then like the wires ran down their their sleeves. So is <laughs> it when they actually yeah. like clinked the swords together it created the spark? That's right. Yeah. <gasps> it sounds very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I think it is a bit dangerous, yes. And I don't think you'd you'd be allowed that now, but Okay. Very eighties uh, yeah. way of film- filming. Yeah, <laughs> totally. We'll just worry about it later. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. that yeah. that goes quite nicely onto my second point, which is the cinema cinematography and editing of the film. Yeah. Um, there's some really really cool shots, and the, I know there wasn't much of a budget for this film, so like using like simple stylistic shots to add production value. I mean, I do low budget filmmaking, so I'm all about trying to add production value when there is none. <laughs> um, but what for once the after the fight or during the fight scene, sorry, um, we see who is the character again at the start that he chops off his head. Uh, his name is Fasil. Fasil, yeah. So you see Fasil running away, but you see it on the reflection of his sunglasses yes. lying on the ground. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And as Connor is banished from the kingdom and he's walking over the hills, he walks in between like two mountains and in the valley. There's the full moon in the distance, and it's just a perfectly symmetrical shot. It's wonderful. Yeah. And uh, the final battle at the end, when they fall through the roof, and they're filming in the warehouse, and they're kind of backlit in the blue from the, oh, the night that. sky, yeah. and they're silhouetted. And that reminded me heavily of uh, a scene in Skyfall, which is a very similar shot, as in the same sort of uh, wide-angle framing, um, same sort of colour coming through the, the, the windows at night and it's this wash of blue. It just was... And then you had the kind of wet floor as well where you're seeing the reflections on mm. the wet floor. It's just perfectly framed. And some great transitions like we spoke about from the car park to the highlands. There was also one where um, Nash or Connor... I don't know where to come Connor or Nash, but we know who we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, Nash is sitting 
in his apartment and he looks up at the fish tank and yep. then it transitions through the fish tank into the locks and Sean Connery's in the boat. Yeah. Um, and I just love the editing of the parallel timelines. I just like yeah. how, um, something that happens in the present takes us back to the past because his mind has gone back to the past. Something that's happening now is a reminder more of that life that he once had. Um, the only thing I wish is I wish we had more in the past. Mm-hmm. I think the past had a lot more to say than the the present stuff. But yeah, cinematography and editing worked wonderfully. Yeah, I loved that shot with the blue as well. I take a note of that one as well. But I don't know if I'm wrong in saying this, but when um, Ramirez Ramirez is like training them up and like those shots where they're like dangerously on like a cliff face and all this kind of thing I don't know if it was you that said it actually but was there not something about Sean Connery was getting a bit annoyed or was like concerned <laughs> I don't know if I'm making that up that um there well, wasn't again enough safety put in place yeah I'm not sure I didn't I'm not so sure about that that but he was they were being very careful but the the time that they had him for because they were limited to having him, because he was getting paid an absolute fortune, you know, millions to do the film. And if they had him over a certain amount of days, then they got half a million dollars or whatever a day, I think it was. So Mm -hmm. it may be more that kind of idea of, um, you know, I don't know, just keen to get the thing finished. Uh, I mean, there is a story that has been told many times about how when they filmed the bit, uh, when when the Kurgan first comes in, he, he bursts in through the door and he originally um, sort of swung his sword and uh, basically almost caused an accident. And, and I think the sword, um, I can't remember now if the sword broke or the part of the table broke, but he basically sent things flying in the in that room and nearly caused an accident. And Sean wasn't happy then, I believe. He That's did, maybe what it is, maybe yeah. It. yeah. He did storm <clears throat> off uh, or, well, but, well it's, maybe he didn't storm off, but he certainly went off and had a had a word with the director and, and they were saying, okay, he's just a little bit excitable. You know, um, uh, Clancy Brown is, is new to this. He's young. He's enthusiastic. Uh, you know, he didn't Immersing in the role. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, let's go and try again. So I think Clancy probably felt quite bad about that. And I think the other thing as well is when I was writing this book, Sean Connery was still alive. Uh, and I sadly mm-hmm. didn't get to speak to him. I did try. Um, but I think people were probably being very polite uh, and not wanting mm-hmm. to say anything to... Um, you know, yeah. So I mean, nobody there was there was nothing too too not too bad that I couldn't that I couldn't put in the book. There were a couple of stories I kind of left out actually, but um, <laughs> but I think yeah. I, I was just going to say that I think because he was an older actor, an experienced actor, and he was working with people like Russell Mulcahy. So Russell was again, as I say, in his twenties, and Sean was maybe in his uh, what was he at that point forties, fifties maybe. Nice. I think there was probably a little bit of Sean saying. Have you thought of this, or maybe you should try it this way, or mm. a little bit of that? So maybe, yeah, you know, which I don't think is necessarily ever a, like a bad thing as well. No. Like I, I like even when I'm working on film or whatever, and I, I take like you know advice or comments from anyone that wants to give it because the last thing you want is to get back to the edit suite and go oh, I should have got this, or I should have done this, and then somebody's over your shoulder going, oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> and you're like, why didn't you? You yeah. know. So I always yeah. say, whether you use it or not, take any advice, especially someone that's been in the business for years, take their advice. Whether you use it or not, take it. Of course. <laughs> well, yeah, I think if Sean Connery was on your film, 
you would take yeah. a bit of advice. <laughs> you at least yeah, listen absolutely. to him and say thanks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nod. Yeah. <laughs> My last point is actually the history of the sword um, that Highlander has, the mm. Japanese sword. Um, the Toledo Salamanca, am I right in that? Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, You're doing well so, for someone who's only watched the film once last, I know. Uh, last week. Yeah. Or two. Well, I'm glad I took notes yeah. and pronounced it right. Um, so what I liked about it was, like they say, it's a Japanese sword. And I thought, okay, they've used this fancy Japanese sword, gave it a fancy name just to give the character a little bit more culture. But then I thought that was it, they were going to be done with that. But then through you know the stuff sent in the past, we find out... Um, how the sword was made, um, where it came from, how it became in possession of um, of Connor through Ramirez, and you find out a bit about Ramirez's past through the sword. So the sword actually is part of the story, and it's not just a prop. It's actually yeah telling you history about, I guess about the immortals. I guess about where Ramirez has been, a bit of Ramirez's past as well, and just after tying that all together through the use of one prop again very very sorry uh, very good storytelling and i actually think there's room there to have like a prequel story as we said there's been tv shows there's been multiple sequels but you could actually have a prequel of ramirez's story and the possession of the sword i think there's enough just in those few lines of dialogue between him and connor that there's another wonderful full Story Another world, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, I I would love to have seen a Netflix series or Amazon series, um, based on Highlander, just so you could go into detail on all these different things, um, yeah. or even like a novel. I'm a big fan of the Planet of the Apes films as well, and there's a nice little book, short story collection, came out a couple of years ago, and it just went behind the scenes of different um, films, different uh, sequels, and things. So, I think it would be amazing to see. As you say, you just dip into each one of these characters and the sword, as you say, and cast the gears character as well. What happened with him? Where did he come from? And his life. Absolutely. So you know, it's it's incredible. There's just so much depth to this film, and you could go you off could, in different directions. Yeah, you could do different stories. It's obviously about immortals, but the struggles that they go through in relation to you know, like for instance, right now the only immortals we see in this world at the moment is male immortals. You know, but you could do stuff in regards to sex, race, culture, totally. and things like mm-hmm. that. Because if they're going through thousands of years or, or hundreds of years, they're going to witness a lot of changes in the world. So you can tell yeah. other underlying themes through a sod a TV show, you know, a sod <laughs> yeah. TV show or movie. Yeah, There's yeah, so yeah. much to be said there. Um, just on that note then, um, so I was just wondering your thoughts on the, the remake with Henry Cavill. Uh, I'm very excited about it, really. Yeah, I think... Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, not not to tell, you know, it's not telling any tales, but I think once, when I was writing the book, the, the, the production company who made the film um, were not hugely, um, I think, maybe excited about me writing the book at the time. Right. Uh, one of the producers was still alive, Peter Davis, uh, and I think he'd been stung a little bit by maybe Clancy Brown, had made lots of comments over the years about not really liking the producers and not thinking they were very good. Um, so Peter Davis was still around and I did try and get an interview with him and it didn't happen so um, but well sadly Peter uh, Peter Davis has died he died maybe four or five six months ago Mm -hmm. but I know that before he died he had 
been passed details off the book and knew that I was trying to be, you know, there was not no attempt to be nasty about anybody or, or a yeah, hatchet yeah. job or anything. So that's a long way of just saying, you know, I've been chatting to the guys at Davis Panzer a little bit just um, about the book and other, other things. And just mm-hmm. what I've heard from what they're trying to do, and it's not, nobody's told me anything about the actual story, but I just know that. <laughs> Exclusive here know, first, everyone. Certainly <laughs> no one said this is in the script or that's in the script. But I think um, just knowing what they're talking about, trying to get the script right, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. You know, there's yeah. a lot of, it's not like anyone's saying, look, this is just a nice way to make more money, which of course it will be. But at the yeah. same time, they're actually saying, let's get the story right. You know, we, we want to do more than one film this time. Uh, because when they made Highlander, the first film, the plan was only ever to do one. They didn't think of doing sequels, which is mm-hmm. why, spoiler for anyone that's not seen it, at the end of it, he becomes, uh, well, human. And yeah. then when the sequels come along, they've got to try and change it all to make him immortal again. So this yeah. time, I think they've realized that that was a problem and they're mm-hmm. thinking of it as multiple films. So, yeah. So, yeah, that, so just to say, I think, um, you know, there, there is the, the the sequel, the the reboot or remake, whatever you want to call it. From what I've heard so far, if 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 everybody's as passionate about it as as I think they are, they want it to be the best film it can be. Uh, yeah. And Henry Cavill, I think, is 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 a really good choice. Totally, I didn't expect that choice. I thought it would be someone a bit more unknown, perhaps. Or well, that's what I found interesting as well. It's the twice they're now telling this well, three times including the TV show, but. Um, to not cast a Scottish person in a Scottish role, I think is interesting. And I'm yeah. not one of these people. It's like, oh, it must be Scottish yeah. or and that. But it would have been nice. But it would have been, been nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> but, hey, at the same time, Henry. Can you Gavels. picture Martin Cobston as uh, <laughs> <laughs> Connor? <laughs> We've got lots of talent up here. You just never know. You never yeah. know. Yeah. No, I think uh, I think it'll be good. And the, the the other thing is, whatever happens, we've still got the original. So. Uh, I think the fans, much so. you know, the well, fans, I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of the um, the '90s Mortal Kombat, and when they remade, yeah. I know it's not, I know it's not a great film, but as a kid growing up, I just absolutely adored it. So I went and see the seen the reboot of that, and um, it was all right. But I think even if it was Oscar winning, I'd have probably just still <laughs> preferred the, the original for nostalgia reasons. You know, totally. <laughs> is that out now? That was that out recent? Yeah, yeah, about a month ago. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing I've I've learned while researching and, and doing the book is the that 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 sword. Oh, what's the word? The, I can't I can't really think of how to put this, but the the world of swords that the, the people live in. You know, there's there there are so many fans of the swords, and um, yeah. there's a fact for from the TV series uh, Adrian Paul, who was the star of the TV show, who played Duncan McLeod, Connor's cousin. He uh, he now runs a thing called the Sword Experience, and he goes around the world, or he did before COVID, uh, mm-hmm. and he came to Scotland actually, and and teaches people how to sword fight. Um, so it's That's incredible cool. that there's a whole community as well as just people who love films. There's a community of people that have discovered uh, sword fighting and collecting swords and things. Mm. Um, although I believe in the UK, it's it's very difficult to to get a sword sent to you because I know someone who's who's tried recently <laughs> and just couldn't get it through customs at all. I wonder why. That's so strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I, well, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. even if, of course. Well, I'm guessing this person wasn't gonna was just gonna put it on their wall, but 
But it isn't it? It's interesting that even I mean I don't even know when that rule came in. Maybe it's been there for for decades. But mm. yeah. but even if it's just an ornamental thing, I think it's it's a huge huge problem. But anyway, yeah, I'm not planning course. to get one yet. But <laughs> yet, yet. <laughs> <laughs> when the reboot comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, my final point, I think, is the flow of the film. Um, I really liked. I know that it jumps back and forth like quite often but I found that when I was watching it and I was asking myself a question of but who is Ramirez or but who is he and why are they immortal and that kind of thing the film was naturally like answering each section so much so that when I was asking the question out loud my mum was like you're just about to find out you're just about to find out and I know people say that in films like watch it and see but it was just like the way it worked it was like really quite clever in a sense that I found that I was watching it and I was naturally like um getting the answers I know that sounds like a simple thing to say but um I think just with the structure of all the sort of flashbacks and things um it was answering a lot of things I was thinking about, um, and yeah. made it easier to made it easy to watch. I mean, it's a crazy film, isn't it? Like you said, um, but the flow of it was just really nice and really simple. No, I, mean, I think that's that's a great great point because uh, I think people do underestimate the amount of effort that goes into writing a screenplay. I mean, I've been trying it myself recently. Actually, this is my <laughs> been my thing for the last couple of years. I've been on a, on a master's doing a screenwriting degree, yeah. um, like one of your other. Uh, guest Jamie, who was yeah. on my, my my course in my first year, but yeah, it, writing a screenplay is difficult. What these these uh, Larry Ferguson and Peter Bellwood, who who wrote the script that we know we see on the screen, yeah, to to get that right and to make that work is a really is a skill, of course, yeah. and um, and they, they did such a good job. And like you say, questions come up naturally, and then they know that those questions are coming up, and then they know how to answer them and. Yeah, pay, pay off, sort of set up and pay off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. it's brilliant. It's very clever, and and I was lucky to speak to, to both of them for the book as well. Uh-huh. Um, really interesting guys. Um, we talked a lot about scenes that went weren't in it as well. So, because mm-hmm. um, that's another thing. There are, according to them, um, you know, there there are a few themes in there that are missing from from the, the romance story between Brenda and Connor. There was more of that in the original script, and actually right. some of it was filmed. Um, so some of it exists as photos. You can see some of the photos of them of it being filmed, but they've lost yeah. the footage, sadly, the, the actual footage. Oh, um, no. So there was a little did bit more say, to it. Did they say how long the film would have been then with? I think it would have been maybe another 10, 10 minutes or so. Five, oh, right, okay. At least 10 minutes. And there's a whole subplot as well with one of the, the policemen, Bedsoe, who's one of the guys... Um, in the moment, he's really not in it that much, and it's hard to even, you might not even remember him, but he's just one of the cops at the start uh, when they find the first body in the in the underground, in the car park. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just sort of standing there. Um, again, he's not a huge character in it now, but in, in the original version, he ended up following Connor and uh, Castigier through a museum, and there's a nightclub scene, and there's scenes with them in uh, in um, Central Park. So when they're on the the Bow Bridge, when he meets Castigier, when Connor meets Castigier, there's a long shot quite far back, and that's actually taken from the the scene with um, Bedso watching them from a distance. 
but he's now not in that, that scene. And there's a whole other scene where he goes to the to the shop, to the antique shop, and pretends he's looking at fish tanks. And and there's a bit at the end where he gets sent a fish tank. So there's actually uh, there's quite a lot. There's a, a few things missing, uh, which don't really affect the film. I don't think unless yeah. um, unless you think that the Connor and Brenda love story is maybe not that strong. Then that's why because they cut bits out to make it flow a bit more. more. Yeah, it's, so there's me off my my one of my tangents. That's the danger of getting someone who's spent hours and hours and no, hours reading this. No, it's definitely good. Um, yeah, I felt it was a little weak, but I think that can often happen in any films because you know the heads that um, the heads that are obviously can see stuff like you know other storylines like are just taken away from the main action and you can trim it down, like you can trim the fat off of it and they can sometimes see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then but future films, like one of my big problems with like Tenant is the underlying love story between the protagonist and the woman. I just think it's not earned in it. And even something like Highlander, I think they spend more time on developing them. Even just how they act with each other in the apartment, you know, you can see there's a little bit of chemistry there. So whether you believe or not... From? Yeah, yeah, you know, like sometimes you can just get a chemistry with someone right away, and then if if you can sell that to the audience, then people will uh, believe it. People can f- fall in love over two days or how many days it is in the the film. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought you were actually going to say there, Jonathan, that the cop was going to be an immortal as well, hiding <laughs> in the police force, which actually that would be, could be, yeah. that would be an interesting thing there as well. I thought that's where you were going to go with that. That's a good idea. Maybe they should use that in the in the new one. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. You, you know what I am, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> what would be your um, final point on the film, Jonathan? For me, yeah. yeah, for me, the final one has to be the music, uh, and that is so Queen. But also Michael Kamen, who does the um, his music, sort of plays more in the in the the, the past scenes and the mm-hmm. scenes in the, in the Highlands, uh, whereas Queen is all in the eighties stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I just think, yeah, the, both of them work so well. Um, certainly the Queen stuff, of course, a kind of magic mm-hmm. is just a an amazing song. And I remember hearing that when it came out in nineteen eighty six. I suppose I remember that being on the radio, but not knowing anything about the film. Uh, and I still just think that's a, just a brilliant song. Um, yeah. But also, Who Wants to Live Forever, which is heartbreaking when that, that plays uh, in that poor death Heather. scene. I know, poor <laughs> Heather, Bonnie Heather, uh, mm-hmm. and just all the other songs as well. I mean, I, those are the two that stand out for me, really, but uh, I just think it's a really interesting way to do things. And again, just tying into Russell Mulcahy's MTV roots and... Um, uh, yeah, and then there's the Michael Kamen stuff in, in the in the past is really beautiful as well. When I think when mm-hmm. Connor's banished, you mentioned there, guy about Connor being banished from his village and the and the music sort of soars and yeah, it's just lovely stuff. So for me, that really is a it's a it's too much of a cliche to say it's another character. I think, but it's uh, it just really enhances everything. Well, it does. It, it does throw you into the eighties, like when that music yeah. plays, you know. Where it's set and um, and exactly where you are, and I really loved the music as well when uh, Kurgan kidnaps um, Brenda and he's taking her on this like crazy joyride, like mm-hmm. putting the fear into her, and the Queen music's playing as well at that point, and yeah. I just think it's that for me was like one of the best uses of the music as well because it was it wasn't 
the characters could hear the music and it was like really rocky and energetic because it's not really a car chase I guess because nobody's chasing but just this crazy mental joyride with Clancy Brown's evil laugh and her screaming you could just feel it all it was really atmospheric yeah yeah I love the music as well I think it kind of shows an indication of if someone is immortal they're going to have all of this different types all these different types of music aren't they so um it's nice that some of it was crossed over to like when it was in the past and then present um just part of him like you said another character in the film i feel and the princes of the universe song which starts the film that uh that was a video and russell directed that and connor um christopher lambert's in that um if you've not seen it it's worth watching on youtube It's, it's a fun little video I think as well, am I right in saying, because I, I did a wee bit of research, that they had agreed to do like one or two songs, but then seen a cut of the film and offered more of the music, is that right? Pretty much, yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, uh, uh, Freddie, Freddie Mercury was really, mm-hmm. I think they all fell, fell in love with the film actually, but but I think he was really keen to do more, and then they all took a song each, they all wrote a song each, and um yeah. yeah, no, oh, it's just. That. I know, yeah, uh, and 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 I managed to speak to uh, to Brian May. It took me years really to get to him, but <laughs> during lockdown, I thankfully got to to speak to him uh, and asked him about that. And he just said he was going through a really tough time when he watched the rushes of the film and watched that sequence with Heather. He was having a lot of problems in his personal life, so I think there were a lot of. Just a really emotional time for him. So writing, and, and it, so that comes out when he wrote that song. He started writing that in the car or the taxi, I think it was, going back to his home or to the office from seeing the, those clips. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it really comes through the emotion yeah. on that. Yeah. And I, I, I keep saying it. I know I've said it, you know, a, a few times now, but it, in a way, it just it's a film. I don't know, an action film, just in a way, shouldn't deserve that sort of quality which sounds funny to say but you know they're kind of i think of an action film in a way as a bit of a throwaway thing sometimes and you know you just watch it to have fun and explosions and stuff and so to have that just that thread running through i keep saying that you know it's it's kind of it's magical really poetic and that's one of the reasons i think i chose the film just tying back into the theme (laughs) (laughs) oh look at that conclusion (laughs) yes It's, a, it's just a kind of magic, yeah. Exactly. Does anyone have any other points or anything that... Well, I mean, we can't not talk about this one or not, but uh, Sean Connery playing um, an Egyptian and um, still just carrying his Scottish accent. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, he does it in any film, but... Yeah, it's like, yeah. Ludicrous. Up, yeah, but he looks cool. Like he, Not many people could pull off that costume, mm-hmm. and he no. manages it. I don't know how he does it. Yeah, it's crazy because yeah. he's Sean Connery, I guess, and that's it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, how he goes from tuxedo and James Bond to whatever he's wearing in this film, I don't know, but he's manages it. What a guy! I, I, I did like his the joke about the haggis. Yeah, I that yeah. was quite good as well, and how Sean Connery doesn't know what haggis is. I thought uh-huh. that was a nice play on it as well to show yeah. that he's not Scottish. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and there was some nice moments of like humour and things in it as well. I think as well the eighties costumes, obviously being set in eighties, but it's kind of got this Mad Max vibe to it, especially yeah. Kurgan. Like you could picture, you could take him out of that and put him in the modern Mad Max, and he would fit. Which I think is really interesting how how that punk 
eighties look. Um, yeah. Yeah, how it looks basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's for a film that's set in eighties New York, but isn't all filmed in eighties New York. It does an amazing job of uh, of recreating that. I think. I, well, yeah. I say that having, of course, never been to eighties New York, but for what I, for everything I, I've seen, it, it it they did an amazing job with that. So. Yeah. Well done to them, and and it just it just gets across in those alleys when uh, the Kurgan is is fighting Castigier and kills poor Castigier. Uh, just although that that was a London alleyway, uh, it just has that vibe. It just it's just done so well that that's sort a of dirty, yeah. you know, yeah, mm-hmm. boxes. Uh, there's always empty boxes, and um, always seems to cardboard box. It's steam of smoke <laughs> coming up through the the, the ground and. Uh, yeah, that kind of the neon and stuff like that—it's just so well done. That, that that's mm-hmm. that set dressing, yeah. Yeah, I guess my only negative on it would be I felt like some of the fight choreography hasn't aged too well. But I think as um, I guess this film has moved on, like you know, plenty of practice and watching other things, people have learned to do a wee bit more of that. But yeah. I think it's also because a lot of the film is. Uh, a lot of the choreography is filmed on wide shots and I guess back then that was the idea was to get as much of the action on screen as possible whereas I think more modern film because it's actually agreed you can hide a lot more going to close-ups <laughs> I guess as well um, and I thought it was a wee bit funny when uh, Fazil um, did these like 100 backflips to escape I found that quite comical as well but yeah that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. My, only, that's my only real negative everything do you not do that in those kind of situations Gary just back oh, when I come off this call when I go for when I go for some lunch I'm just going to backflip <laughs> down the corridor <laughs> yeah yeah that's a if anyone reads the book at all I've got a whole section there about the backflips um, yeah. I managed to track down the guy that did the backflips right which, oh, was, gosh, which really? was quite nice yeah so it wasn't the, it wasn't the actor then <laughs> I'm joking <laughs> Well, the, well, funnily enough, the guy who the guy who did who was Fazil, he was Peter Diamond, who was a stunt double, a stunt actor. Um, right. It's probably a better term for that, which is going to my mind. But uh, he did lot. He did hundreds of films and Star Wars films and things. But yeah, so so the funny thing was, he was he could do the stunts, but they got someone else in to do that stunt, That's and crazy. and didn't put it in the credits or in the titles, so nobody knew. Um, but I managed to track him down. Just this one guy who who came in for a day and did it. Yeah, um, wow. and was never got credited. Um, <sighs> That's a shame, isn't it? But but the, you're right about the about the sword fighting. I recently watched the The Witcher, the first episode of The Witcher on Netflix, mm-hmm. because Henry Cavill's in it, and I wanted to see what he was because I love him in um, Mission Impossible and Fallout. Yeah, I think he's great. But I wanted to see what he was like in an action kind of. Uh, you know that that sort of world of, of swords and, and and sorcery, and he's brilliant. There's a great sequence in that first episode. I only watched the first one because I actually didn't think the series was that brilliant. Um, but yeah, the, the like you're saying, it's a lot of close-ups, very fast. Yeah. It just feels a lot more natural than than in in Highlander. Yeah. Um, so and the, and the new film should be hopefully directed by Chad Stahelski, who directed John Wick and its sequels. So I, I mean, I've just Imagine what they can do with sword play, mm-hmm. directed by the guy that did all that with gun play and 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 fight sequences. Yeah. I think it could look amazing. And that, as you said, the story's there, hundred mm-hmm. mm. percent. Many stories you can tell there, so yeah. you don't even need to. 
I guess in a way, like it's interesting because they don't even need to do a remake. They can just do a modern tale set in the same world, which would be interesting too. You know, mm-hmm. so much there. Um, I mean, something that I would like to have seen in the film, which they didn't ever do, is another fight sequence between Connor and the Kurgan in another time period. Yeah. For me, that's something that's sort of missing and just would have made a bit more... There was a fight sequence missing that was, again, it was filmed, but it was cut out between the Kurgan and and another character called Young Doll Kim, and that was, in, again, in New York in 1985. But I just would have liked to see them in, I don't know, Napoleonic era or Second World War or the First World War or yeah. something. Yeah. But, hey, it's not in there. But I think it would have added a bit more to that relationship because it, it's sort of like he's there at the start and then he's there near the end and and just maybe it missed something for me a little bit. But yeah. or even or even like they at least we see them at least meet in another time period, like at, at World War Two because True. you could have had uh, Connor and the Kurgan meet at World War Two but rather than fight, Connor decides to save the girl. Yeah. You know, mm. and then they're finally met again at the end. Um does anyone have any other comments or just how nice it is to see Scotland on the screen and how yeah. great it looked to see, you know, Sky and um, Glencoe and things. But, but yeah, mm-hmm. apart from that, nothing much else to say. Lovely. Um, has anyone's final ratings changed? Has it gone up, down? I'm going to I'm sticking with my eight. I think it's a good, good, solid number. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for that nine. I'm gonna, Yay. I'm gonna, yeah, <laughs> feel bad not to do that now. So yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, I think I'm gonna jump up slightly to like a seven point five. Hey, um, great! I know that's nice. Um, but and yeah, it's something I'll watch again. To be honest, so I, I think I'd like to because from chatting yeah. about it, there's things that I've definitely like missed or would like to go and find more on. Yeah. Like the guy with the hockey mask. Didn't even see that. Yeah. So like. Hawkeye there, Gary. <laughs> uh, lovely. Well, we're going to take a little break and when we return, we will have our quiz, our fun fact of the day and our creative recommendations. I don't like boats. I don't like water. I'm a man, not a fish. Oh, you complain endlessly. You look like a woman, you stupid haggis. Haggis? What is haggis? Sheep stomach stuffed with meat and barley. And what do you do with it? You eat it. How revolting. Be still, for God's sake. You'll tip us over. So? I cannot swim, you Spanish peacock. I'm not Spanish, I'm Egyptian. You said you were from Spain. You're a liar. You have the manners of a goat, and you smell like a dung heap, and you have no knowledge whatsoever of your potential. Now, get out! So we are back for our quick fire quiz round. So Gary and I are going to ask Jonathan five questions each on the film. It's just for fun. Oh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I think my I think my my connection's going. I don't know. I can (laughs) can hear you. What's that? (laughs) Um, Gary do you want to go first yep I can okay question one who plays Angus McLeod Uh, James Cosmo yes 
Who's in like every Scottish thing? <laughs> I can't remember which cousin that was. Doug Dougal's other one. I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is the name of McLeod's well, first wife slash partner? What's her name? Who tries to get him banished? Yeah, she does, doesn't she? What a quick, what a quick breakup that was. <laughs> I know. Uh, her name is escaping me actually. What's her name? It's gone. Gone. Afraid. Oh no, it's Kate. Kate. She's so That's evil, she's so nasty, I try and block her out. And it, <laughs> I and like that work. justification. You try yeah. and okay, banish her the from point. your head. Exactly, yeah. Um, okay, how much is the Toledo Salamanca sword worth? Oh, come on, come on. Um, eight, eight million. I'll give you that, it's a million bucks. <laughs> That's what she says. That's what she says in the comments. A million, yeah. <laughs> Um, which Queen song does Connor quote in the movie a couple of times? A kind of magic. Yeah. See, that's the easy one. Wow. <laughs> um, what was the name of the village that Connor was banished from? Um, oh, man. This is the village of um, Glenfinnan. Yes. Yes. Okay. This is an option one. Is it there can be only one? Option B, there can only be one. Or option C, there can be one only. <laughs> if I got this one wrong, I would ask you to delete this podcast. Uh, it's A. Yes. I hope. <laughs> How many wives has Ramirez had? Um, I think he's only had one. It's three. I think it's three wives. Right. And the last one was the Japanese one. Right, right. Who is Nash's assistant? Rachel. And my last question is, what nationality is Ramirez? He's Egyptian. Yes. And my last question, again, a simple one. Um, where does the opening scene take place? Uh, in Madison Square Garden. Yes, correct. But it wasn't filmed in Madison Square Garden. Where it was, was filmed? filmed in Meadowland or Meadowland um, Stadium or Arena. I think it might be Arena. Hmm. Again, See, the, very... there you go. I've got these. I've got the boring stuff that most people don't know. <laughs> I never, ask those questions. I know you should go for the really, really obscure. But when it comes to how many wives, yeah. I've never thought. I've never thought about Ramirez's wife. See, there's another spin-off. That's another. Yeah. Yeah. Ramirez many... and his wives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. That was good. What? What was that? I think that was eight. I think. No. So I miss more than eight. Did I miss a couple? Anyway, I'll, I'll go with eight. But You'll take it. Take I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. Um, <laughs> we're never going to share our fun fact of the day. <clears throat> My fun fact of the day is. I don't know again if this is accurate. But apparently, according to astronomer Fred Hoyle, it would take one hour to drive to space. Right. Uh, I'm guessing that's just when you get out of like the, the atmosphere of... Yeah, yeah. so yeah. if you got into your car, turned on the ignition and drove up to the sky at 60 <laughs> minutes per hour, it would take just one hour to get to outer space. Oh. That's quite interesting, actually, yeah. I like it. Good. Yeah. yeah how, interesting. how handy would that be? Yeah. yeah. 
Less congestion. Oh. Less congestion up that way. Second as traffic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gary, your fact? So mine is kind of a sword fact, but kind of not. You're obsessed. You're now obsessed by swords, aren't you? <laughs> well, Are you okay, about, Gary? <laughs> it's about the swordfish. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, the uh, swordfish have special organs next to their eyes that keep their brain and their eyes warm in cold waters. This ability to heat their eyes improves their quality of vision. So they really they need to be in warm waters, but they can go into cold water and still survive. So as they can chase their prey. That's fascinating. So, yeah, that's probably hmm. random fact. <laughs> that's pretty cool. John, okay. what's your fact? My random fact is, uh, is did you know J.K. Simmons <laughs> has been the voice of the yellow M&M since 1997? I did not. And the M&M, if you watch M&M adverts, he's <laughs> the yellow ad, the yellow M&M. Oh. You know what? Crispy M&Ms are my favourite chocolate, so... I'm now going to keep that one close to me, that fact. <laughs> <laughs> I like a peanut M&M. That's Not the just one he one. Has, isn't he? That's the one he has. Yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the peanut. Yeah. There you go. Hmm. Cool. Interesting. Lovely. Things I've learned. I know, I know. Um, lovely. Well, to round off the show, we are now going to share uh, creative recommendations. This is something that we've seen, listened to, know that's going on, can be absolutely anything at all. Um, Gary, what's your creative recommendation? Yeah. So I'm actually going to recommend another podcast that I've been listening to roughly from the start of lockdown. It's called The Evolution of Horror Podcast and each season they pick a genre, like a subgenre within um, the horror genre and they basically look at the evolution of that subgenre through the years. So they'll do like zombie genre which would start way before even Night of the Living Dead like when zombies were like to do with witchcraft right through to like you know the modern World War Z and how much that genre has changed. They'll do the same with slasher, ghost stories, sci-fi and um yeah, it's really, it's really interesting, and they, each episode's about an hour and a half to two hours long, so they really go into each movie in particular detail. So if you like horror or just like to listen to how trends have changed, then check it mm. out. So that's the Evolution of Horror podcast. I like the sound of that. Mm. That's good. I'll have a look into that one. Um, my recommendation is kind of two. Um, so... I'm going to rec so I'll recommend first. It's a short film platform called Clippist. Um, it's relatively new, uh, but on Clippist, it's a free like site to watch short films. Um, and the one I watched was called Tea for Two, um, and it was really funny. Some disturbing twists in there as well, uh, but really good acting. And plus, there was a couple of um. TV royalty from Amanda Barry and is it John Chalice? John Chalice? Chalice, who yeah. Is, um, from Only Fools and Horses. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was nice to see him in another role. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'd recommend watching that. It was good fun. Um, and check out Clippus as well because there's lots of different short films on there. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Jonathan? Um, I'm going to go for another kind of lockdown kind of related one, uh, and I discovered on iPlayer, Detectorists, 
this comedy series written by Mackenzie Crook from The Office. Uh, and I had missed it when it was first on. I sort of knew it was first on in 2017-ish and somehow just missed it. And then the lockdown, I just found it and I, I, I adore it. It's now one of my top comedies ever. And it's just about these two detectorists, so two guys that met, go metal detecting and they're called mm -hmm. detectorists. Everyone, keep, everyone thinks they're called metal detectors, but those are the machines they use. Uh, and it's just a really simple comedy and it's uh, three series. Um, I think it's what, 12, 18, 18 or 19 episodes because I think there's a, there's a Christmas special. And it's just really gentle comedy uh, about guys and their hobbies and some women as well. There are women in there as well, but it's kind of about how just men are really a bit sad sometimes, but um, I really just love it. It's a brilliant show. Sounds good, yeah. Sounds good. Is that we need some on... light-hearted humour as well, don't we? Yeah. We do, yeah. That's just on, on BBC iPlayer. It should be cool. on there for another few months at least. Yeah. Hmm, I'll check it out. Is that the UK office or the US The one? UK one. He UK. played, um, oh, what was his name in the in the UK one? Ga Ga Gareth, I think he yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. the guy out of um, Pirates Caribbean as well, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he writes, <laughs> uh, writes them. And I think he might direct all the episodes of, of Detectress as well. And he's just amazingly talented. I didn't realise he was... He's written some novels as well. So he's, you know, really, really smart guy, Mackenzie Crook. Hmm. No, I didn't know that about him. I'll certainly check that out. And Toby Jones is the other guy. I don't know if you know Toby Jones. He's in yeah. everything these days. He's in the new Indiana Jones film that's coming out well, mm. next year, I suppose. Again, filmed here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Um, perfect. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us and chatting to us about Highlander. It's been really nice to, to have you and get into that Highlander, the nitty gritty, as they say. Yeah, you now know more than, than you ever wanted to know about Highlander. I know. No, it's, it's yeah, amazing. It's good, I, think it's, um, I think it's wonderful and you're like to be passionate about something and take it to that level as well. It's it's really interesting and it brings another life to something, doesn't it? It's, it's well, I would I would just put a very quick thing in here because I know you and, and you know spoken to Jamie as well and, and he talks mm -hmm. about people who have been creative, including yourself. And I would just say if anyone ever has something they love and they want to either, I guess, make you know if they love music, then maybe try and make music. But if you love writing and you and you love something. Why not try and write about it? That's all I've done. I've just sort of, yeah. uh, I loved Highlander and I thought no one else has written a book on it, so I'll write it. So, um, yeah, so if anyone else has got, I'll just put that in there. If anyone else is thinking of, they can't do something, just do it because I think you can. Yeah, you probably it. can. At least try, yeah. Oh, that's lovely advice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media and keep up to date with? Yeah, yeah. The best place is probably just um, on Twitter. So that's J O N underscore Melville, uh, and on Facebook, I think it's just Jonathan Melville. Uh, you know, forward slash Jonathan Melville. J O N A T H A N. But you'll see that in the spelling of the of the podcast and the title. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Lovely. Um, well, I'm Rebecca and you can follow me on Instagram at RiddleRebecca and Twitter at RiddleR. And I'm still Gary and you can still follow me at Pro on Twitter and Instagram. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe and share and tell everyone about it. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please remember to rate and review the podcast as well. We also welcome your lovely comments to our email address at choosefilmpodcast at hotmail.com. You can follow the podcast at Film Choose on Twitter and Choose Film Podcast on Instagram. You've been listening to Choose Film Podcast and join us next week for our discussion on the film Mulholland Drive. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Bye bye.